0: Pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to serve you across the globe. We thank you for the opportunity to go. We thank you for those that sent, Father. We thank you for the time we had, Lord. We pray that your name was honored and glorified. I pray for our time right now, Lord, as we study the text of Scripture. I pray you would give us clarity to understand your word I pray you give us strength to apply it to our lives and I pray that we have changed here different than when we came. or transformed into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. Well, as many of you probably know, our Guatemalan mission team returned home safely Wednesday night to the church about 8 o'clock to what felt like a hero's welcome if you were here. There were several hundred people down front. We didn't know anything about it, didn't expect it, and we drove up and... Children and adults were waving flags and cheering and screaming for us, and that was an incredible blessing. Thank you so much for those of you that were involved in that process. 21 of us, plus Gary Udy, our guide, went this last week to a very remote village in Guatemala called San Juan Mocah. We flew into Guatemala City, drove about four and a half hours south-southwest towards the Pacific Ocean, did work in that village for... uh, the week and came home. And, and and to say, people have asked me, was the experience good? To say that it was an incredible week would be an understatement. I think every member of our team in some way was profoundly changed. We did amazing things. We actually built four houses. You saw some pictures on the video of the houses. We built four houses. We did VBS every day to what ended up being about 125 children as the week Progress. We literally walked through the jungle and did hut-to-hut evangelism. We saw dozens and dozens of people pray to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And for many of us, for the first time, we came face-to-face with absolute poverty. And we were reminded in a very, very clear way of God's blessing and His amazing grace in our own lives. I think it was life-changing for us. And so as we return home and, and we're reminded of all the things that we accomplished, we're reminded that there's still much to do. And so with the idea of missions in mind and with the idea of doing the work of the Lord, I want to turn our attention this morning to Acts chapter 20. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open up to the book of Acts chapter 20. As you're opening to Acts 20, let me give you a little bit of background about the book of Acts. The book of Acts was written, of course, by Luke And the book of Acts chronicles the early church. It's an incredible picture of the first century church, of the first century believer. And the thing that strikes me about the book of Acts is the power and the majesty of the Holy Spirit at work in the lives of those people. The first century believers did the work of the Lord and through the power of the Holy Spirit working in their lives they accomplished incredible things in their area and in the area that surrounded them one of the neat things about the book of Acts is it chronicles Paul's journeys and you may remember last summer we spent the whole summer studying mission work and we spent the whole summer working through the book of Acts and studying specifically Paul's first missionary journey And in Acts chapter 20, just to catch you up a little bit on where we are and to give you a little bit of context, Paul has spent about three years in the city of Ephesus. And God has done incredible things in his ministry. God has done incredible things in his midst. Paul has taught the word. He has preached. He has seen people come to know Christ. He has strengthened the church there in Ephesus. But Paul realizes two very important things in this text. This is foundational for our understanding of this context. The first thing Paul realizes and recognizes is that God has done incredible things in his ministry. God has done incredible things in the life of Paul and he's seen the power of God working over and over and over again. But here's the second thing we have to understand. Even though Paul has seen God do incredible things, even though he's completed this amazing time in Ephesus, Paul now understands that there's still work to be done. And so even though he praises the Lord for where he's been, he's very clearly aware and cognizant of God's plan to continue to move him forward doing all the things that God has called him to do. And so here's where we are in our context and our world right now. We understand as a church that even though we have accomplished great things, even though God has done incredible things in our midst, even though we would say that our work there may be done, we have to remember we are not yet finished because for as many things as we have accomplished in guatemala for as many things as we've accomplished in romania for as many things as we've accomplished in other parts of the world in the last many years god still has work for you and god still has work for this church and that should challenge us all and so with that in mind we turn our attention to acts chapter 20 i'll begin in verse 17 this morning acts chapter 20 beginning in verse 17 Now, just a context here. Paul is finished in the city of Ephesus, and he's reached the point now that he's going to leave the city. But before he leaves, he wants to have one final meeting with the leaders of that city. So Acts chapter 20, beginning of verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. So Paul says, I'm leaving, but I want the elders of the church to come to me one final time. Verse 18. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. Verse 20. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything to you that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. Verse 21. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Now here's the first truth we need to understand. Here's the truth that was foundational to Paul's life. Here's the truth that was foundational to Paul's ministry. Here's the truth that was foundational to Paul's mission work. And it's a truth that must be foundational to our lives as well. Number one, we must have our focus solely on Jesus Christ in all that we do. You must focus on Christ in your life, in your work, with your family, In your ministry, on mission, while you're here at church, it must dominate everything that we do. Our focus on Christ should serve as our foundation of all the things we accomplish and all the things that we do. Our primary calling in mission work is to make the name of Jesus Christ known to the nations. Now, we're going to do a lot of neat things. We did some incredible things in that village. We'll do more incredible things when we go back with another team here in April. We've done incredible things in other parts of the world. We've built houses. We're going to continue to do that. We've provided food. We're going to continue to do that. We've given supplies. We're going to continue to do that. We've provided money where there's need. We're going to continue to do all those things. But I want you to watch this. This is very important. If we do all those things and fail to share with within Jesus Christ, it's all in vain. Because we want to build houses and we want to give money and we want to help. But ultimately, our foundation has got to be Jesus Christ. And so Paul understood that. It's interesting, if you study the life of Paul, it wasn't always like that with him. In fact, if you were to study the life of Paul, you would recognize and remember that Paul grew up a Jew, Paul's a Pharisee, Paul understood the Jewish law, and Paul made it his life's goal and his life's mission to destroy the church at every turn. And so we read passages like Galatians 1.13. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, this is Paul speaking, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. But you remember the story of Paul. Paul on his way to the Damascus Road, the Lord spoke to him in a mighty and powerful way. Paul accepted Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that from that point forward, Paul began to preach in the synagogue that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, so profound was the change in Paul's life that he began to travel the world sharing Christ. He ultimately wrote a large portion of the New Testament. And if you were to read his books beginning in, beginning in Romans, Romans 1, St. Corinthians, on and on to Philemon, if you were to read every one of those books that Paul wrote, the first couple of verses of every one of those books speaks of Paul's foundation in Jesus Christ. You should look. It's very interesting. Beginning in Romans You should read the first two verses of every one of those books and see how Paul gives glory to God and recognizes that his foundation is built solely on Christ. So for Paul, everything was about Jesus. His life was about Jesus. His ministry was about Jesus. His mission work was about Jesus. It all began and ended with Christ. Now I know what some of you are already thinking. You're gonna come in here this morning, Adam, and preach us a sermon that Jesus should be our foundation. Well, duh, (laughs) right? (laughs) We got that. Adam, I got that in kindergarten. Really? I mean, that was a long time ago. You don't have to come in here and remind me that Jesus should be our focus. But here's the question we have to ask ourselves if we're gonna be honest. We may say that Jesus is the focus, but is Jesus really the focus? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Are we living our lives in such a way that we say that Jesus is the focus on Sunday morning and then Monday morning at eight o'clock in the morning, Jesus is no longer the focus? Are we living our lives in such a way that we'll go to some remote village and share Christ? When we come home, we're scared to talk to our neighbor about coming to church. Are we going to say that Jesus Christ is our focus, but we're never going to talk about him at home? We're never going to talk about him with our spouse. We're never going to talk about it with our children. See, we can say a lot of things and we can understand a lot of things. But here's the question. Are we applying that to our lives in such a way that Christ is honored? Is Christ really the focus of all we do or are those just words that we speak? So here's the problem we have with Jesus. We, we put Jesus in this little box, right? And as long as we need him and as long as we're comfortable with him, we're gonna get him out. And on Sunday mornings, man, we get him out and we display him and we're talking about him, we're thinking about him, we're praying about him. But so many of us will take Jesus and we'll put him back in that little box and we'll put him on the shelf, right? Because there are times during the week where I just don't have time to do that, Lord. <laughs> There are times in the week where I just can't think about you. There are are other things and other schedules and other conflicts when I just can't, you know, Sunday morning, I'll get you back out. But during the rest of the week, Lord, I can't really focus on that. I can't really think about you. But see, here's what Paul understood that sometimes we miss. God is way bigger than we understand. And when we put God in the box, we're missing the power and the majesty and the glory of Christ. See, here's what Paul understood Paul understood that not only was God the God of his life, not only was God the God of the city of Ephesus and the areas that surrounded it, but God was the God of the nations. You understand that? Paul understood that God was God all over the world. And so we're reminded of passages like Acts 1 8. Jesus, right before he ascended into heaven, said this to his followers You will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in, watch the circles widening here, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so here's what Paul understood and here's what we have to understand. Our foundation with Jesus Christ begins in our heart, number one. But then it should spill over. Our love for Christ and our desire to follow him should spill over to our friends and to our family members and to our co-workers and to our neighbors. And we understand that even though the love of Christ begins in our heart, if we're serious about who Christ is, if we're serious about him being the focus, if we're serious about him being the foundation, that although it begins in our heart, it ends in the ends of the earth, right? And so we see that God is not only the God of LaGrange, Georgia, he's the God of Guatemala and the people there. He's the God of Romania and the people there. He's the God of Zambia. He's the God of Mexico. On and on and on the list goes. God isn't some little God that we put in a box. God is the foundation of everything we do and God will receive glory and God will show his power to the nations. You say, well, that's that's a great teaching, Adam, but how do we know that's true? (laughs) Well, there are two reasons we know it's true. Number one, the Bible speaks of it over and over again. If you study the word of God, you see the glory of God. You see the majesty of God. You see the power of God. But here's the second thing we have to understand. How do we know that God is the God of the nations? Because many of us have seen it. That's how we know. Many of us have experienced it. Some of you have seen it. Some of you have experienced it. One of the neat things we had an opportunity to do this week was to go to the local school. We had a vision of going to the local school. There's a school there in San Juan Moca in that village, and it's just about a half a mile, if that far from the church. And so on Monday morning, our plan was to take our team our people that are doing VBS and our translators and some of our leadership, we were gonna go to that church and we prayed that the leader, excuse me, to that school, and we prayed that the principal, or as they call him the director, would give us just a little crack in and allow us to come in and speak to those children. But we were mistaken. We didn't have the opportunity to get into that school and teach those kids about Christ. Instead, what happened is that pastor, closed, that, 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 that director, that principal closed the school Took all 400 of his students, marched them down the road into the church so we could share Christ with 400 students that day. Now you say, how in the world is that possible? It's not possible through anything we do. It's only possible because we serve an incredibly powerful God. You understand that? And if we had sat there all day and said, "Well, I don't know. What do you think? Should we go? Or should we not go? What's the plan? Let's map it out. What are we going to do if he says he We didn't do any of that. We said, Lord, we, we want you to open the door for us. We're going to go and we're going to trust you. And not only did God open the door, he blew it off the hinges. <laughs> and that director of that school, we found out later, was a believer and was so excited about when nobody goes to this village, you need to understand, this village is so remote. This is the first mission team that had ever been in that village. When we drove through every morning, literally the kids would run out of the houses and holler at us, gringos, gringos, they had never seen white people. It was, it was a new thing for them. And so they were so amazed that we came that that director said, when you come back in April, I want you to come to my school every morning and teach these kids about Christ. You see, we serve a big God. We serve a powerful God. And God says, if you'll just make me the center, if you'll just make me the focal point of all the things you're gonna do, I will show you my glory and I will show you my power and I will demonstrate to you who I truly am. Paul understood that. Paul understood God's power. Paul understood God's calling. And so he understood very clearly that he had to put Christ as the foundation. But I want you to watch what Paul does. When Paul is finished in Ephesus, I want you to notice what he does in verse 22. Acts chapter 20, verse 22. I want you to notice we've got it on the screen. Notice how Paul begins, and now, see that? Paul says, I've done all these things. God has, has done incredible work through me. God has been glorified. God has been honored in this place. And now, I'm moving on to a new chapter. Compelled by the Spirit. I love the way how Paul phrases that. I'm going to Jerusalem. Now, I want you to listen to what he says here. Not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However... I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. See, here's the second thing that Paul understood. Paul understood that Christ had to be the foundation. Paul understood that Christ had to be the focus. Paul understood when he would put Christ first and put his focus on Jesus Christ and make that his foundation, that God's glory would be known, God's power would be known. But here's the second thing that Paul understands very clearly. Here's the second thing that we have to understand very clearly. Paul understood, and so should we, that we need, number two, to be led by the Holy Spirit and we must move forward seeking God's will in our lives. Paul understood that he needed to be led by the Holy Spirit and we must move forward seeking God's will in our lives. Now, let's remember, Paul had done an incredible work in Ephesus. Paul had seen God do powerful things. Paul had seen people come to know Christ. Paul had seen that church grow and strengthen. And Paul's life was characterized by seeking the guidance of the Holy Spirit and sharing Christ and doing the will of God. But Paul understands very clearly, even though God has done all these things for me, I can't stop. I can't just sit back and think, wow, we did some pretty neat things. I'm gonna take the next couple of years off. <laughs> or I, I did my mission trip. Now I'm not gonna talk about Christ for the next many months. I need to rest, right? Or I've given to these people. I don't think I can give any more for a while. That's not who Paul was. That's not how Paul lived. And I want you to notice what Paul says. It's, it's just so interesting to me in verse 20. Paul says, and now, so the chapter is turned, we're doing something new. Compelled by the Spirit... I'm going to Jerusalem. Listen to what he says. Not knowing what will happen to me there, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. When's the last time you looked yourself in the mirror and you said, I think God's calling me to do something, but I'm afraid it's going to cost me? I'm afraid there's going to be hardship. I'm afraid it's going to be difficult. But you know what, Lord? I trust you so much, I'm going to do it anyway. See Paul says very clearly in his teaching and his, his life was characterized by this idea. Paul was willing to risk it all for the glory of God. That's what he did. That's how he lived his life. That's how he characterized his ministry. So I started thinking about the difficulties that Paul faced in his life and his hardships if you study the life of Paul, you understand that he was in prison, he was beaten, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked, he was left for dead, on and on the list goes. And I started thinking about Paul's hardships and then I started thinking about my hardships. And I started thinking, hmm, what's a hardship for me? What's a hardship in our context? What's a difficult situation for us? And I thought, okay, well, you know, if you have to go into work early or stay late one day, that's, that's a tough day, isn't it? Or maybe if your boss was riding you a little harder one day than you thought he should or she should, that, that's a pretty hard day right there. Or maybe you got into an argument with your spouse after work or, or before work, or, or maybe you had a headache halfway through the day, you couldn't get rid of it, that's a hard day, right? And those things can be difficult, but I think when we begin to compare our difficulties to the difficulties of the rest of the world, our difficulties become very insignificant. And I started thinking about our difficulties and I, I realized something very clearly this week. Our difficulties are usually related to our comfort and to our entertainment. Most of the rest of the world's difficulties are related to survival. Those are vastly different. We had the opportunity this week to to work in these houses, and one of the things that we required of these families before we would build this house for them is they had to be part of the process. We didn't want to go and just we wanted, of course we wanted to give them the house, but we wanted them to have some sweat equity in the house. And so what what they required of each of these families was in order for us to build the house, the families had to provide the sand for the mortar. You saw the pictures of some of the houses. We asked these families to provide the sand for the mortar so that we could mix it together and make the concrete and make the mortar mix and put the blocks together. Now in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, so we need some sand. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm I'm gonna run to Home Depot or the local supply store. I'm gonna buy a bunch of sand. I'm gonna pay those guys to put in a big truck. I'm gonna have them deliver. Boom, they're gonna plop it right on the ground right next to where I need it. Well, there's several problems with that. First of all, in Guatemala, in that part of the country, there are no supply stores. The second thing is there's one road through town. It's the most amazing thing. There's one road in, in quotes here. There's one road through town. And then from there, you have to walk into the jungle to get to these houses. So these people would have to walk, some of them, 100 or two or 300 yards off the road to get to their house, carrying things, right, carrying all the blocks they needed carrying the sand they needed. So we went to one house and we began to notice this guy who was toting this load of sand back and forth for his family. He was the man of the house. And so we followed him. I was curious where he would go and so we stayed behind him at kind of a, a distance and he had his big burlap sack and we watched him walk several hundred yards down, 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 down to the river. I think we got a picture, Kevin. Can you put that first picture up of the guy standing there by the river? This is a man that owned the house. We were, there he is right there. See this guy? He's, he's quite a bit smaller than me. no shoes, Clothing is torn. Notice the bag behind him in a shovel. And I would watch this man shovel and shovel and shovel. And he filled up that sack with sand. And he kept filling and he kept filling and he kept filling. He kept filling. So that sack was full of sand. Probably 100 pounds would be my guess. We all looked at it and estimated between 75 and 100 pounds. And then this man, we would watch him take this rope and he would put it kind of underneath this bag And he would take the rope and he'd get down on his knees like this and he would take the other end of that rope and he would wrap it around across his forehead with a leather strap under it so it wouldn't cut into his forehead and he would stand up. I want you to show the next picture. And this guy would walk several hundred yards back to his house with a sack full of probably a hundred pounds worth of sand. Go to the next picture. Up these hills to take this sand to his house. And I thought, what would I do if that were me? Me? How would I respond to that? Would I be able to do the things that he did? And and I thought about the physical difficulties that these people go through, but then I was reminded of spiritual difficulties. And here's my concern of the church in America. I think sometimes we're so anemic as believers that when true difficulty hits us and true hardship hits us spiritually, we're not strong enough to endure. And we're not strong enough to do all the things that Christ has called us to do, but Paul understood hardship. Paul understood difficulty. And I love what Paul says when he explains that difficulty in verse 22. You can go back to verse 22 if you would there, Kevin. I want you to listen to the words that Paul uses. He says, and now, I love how he begins that, and now compelled by the Spirit. You see that? Paul understands in his world, in his life, in his context, he has no choice. Some texts use the word bound, others use the word constrained, but Paul says, you know what, I don't have a choice here led by the Spirit, compelled by the Spirit, bound by the Spirit, I have to go and I have to do. I've had several of you that were on the mission trip with us last week say to me at some point during the week, they said, you know, when you came back that first time about a year ago from Guatemala and you preached about the need down there and you preached about a vision to go back and help these people and to share Christ, I had several people tell me, I walked out of the service that morning and I knew I had to go. I was compelled by the Spirit to go. I told my wife on the way home, I don't know how I'm going to make it work, but I'm going to go. I don't know how I'm going to make vacation work. I don't know how I'm going to make the money work. I don't know how any of it's going to work, but I know the Lord has called me to go. But here's the concern I have with Christians in our world today. I wonder how many of us at some point in our life have been compelled to do what Christ told us to do by the power of the Holy Spirit, but we were too afraid to do it. I wonder how many of us look and see all the things that God has called us to do and all the things that God has called us to be, and we see all the barriers and all the fear and all the problem to get to that point and we say, Lord, I just don't know if I can do it. I just don't know if I can get to that point. Paul says, I understand the consequences. I understand the persecution. I understand the difficulty. But I'm willing to do all those things. I'm willing to suffer and if need be, give my life for the glory of God. It's worth that to me, Paul says. I wonder how many of us could say the same thing. Now verse 32 as we continue to move forward. Paul says in Acts 20 verse 32. Now he says... I commit to you, he's still speaking to the leaders in the church of Ephesus, I commit to you to God and to the word of his grace which can be built up, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. Now verse 35, I want you to listen to what Paul says. In everything I did... I showed you that by this kind of hard work we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus Himself, who said, It's more blessed to give than to receive. See, Paul understood that Christ had to be the foundation, number one. Number two, Paul understood that he had to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, regardless of what that meant, all for the glory of God. And then the third thing that Paul understands, and we have to understand it as well, is that number three, we must give of ourselves for others, all for the glory of the Lord. Paul said, I'm willing to endure hardship, I'm willing to go, I'm willing to serve, I'm willing to give, but I'm willing to do it for the glory of the Lord. And in the process, I'm willing to help those people that are weak because it's more blessed to give than to receive I had what what I considered at least in my mind, and again, I told you that this trip for so many of us was was really life-changing in so many ways, but I had one of those aha moments at some point during this week. One of the things we notice about these people down there is they're very hard workers. In fact, we commented, the guys that were working, that these people are literally working circles around us. And we were working hard. We weren't being lazy at all, but these people worked harder than us. They would be there when we got there. They would be there when we left. We'd go eat lunch and come back, and they'd still be working. We don't know if they took a lunch break we take a water break because we're not used to the climate. they continue to work. But it occurred to me at some point during that week that these people work harder than we do for the most part. And I know you work hard, but these people work really hard. It occurred to me these people are not dumb. They're, they're intelligent. It occurred to me these people love their families just like I love my family. They love their children. They want to provide for their families. And so I asked myself the question, what's different? Why are they in this context and I'm in this context? And you can Come up with a lot of different reasons, but I think at the foundation, when, when the rubber meets the road, the, the bottom line is this, we are where we are and they're where they are because of the grace of God in our lives. I think we have to come to that conclusion. It's not that we work harder up here. It's not that we're smarter. It's not that we got something figured out they don't have. And I know they're all sort of economical. I get all that. But bottom line, God has blessed us. And God has given us things that those people will never have. We stood there and we dedicated these houses to these people. And we had an opportunity to pray for these people and we had an opportunity to to talk with these people and, and give them a gift and it was the neatest thing to be able to unlock the key to that door to their house and hand that key to that family. And all four families to a person, the father would speak and he would say something like this, you don't understand the blessing this is for my family. One man said, this house is a miracle from the Lord. He said, I never dreamed my family would have a house like this. Folks, it's a tool shed to us. It's a 300 square foot concrete block tool shed. And for those people, it's a mansion. And they recognize the blessings of God. And they recognize the glory of God. We were standing there one morning working and we'd taken a quick little break. And Rusty Taylor, I think Rusty's in here, and I were standing there drinking some water. And we looked over and the lady of the house was making her tortillas. All day you heard this. They're making tortillas, that's what they do. They make tortillas, they grind the corn, they take the corn off the stalk, grind it up, make the paste, make the tortillas, cook it over the open fire. That's what they eat. That's the bulk of their food. That's what they eat most of the time, most of the day. She made tortillas all morning. And, and I guess when you're feeding the whole family, you have to make enough for the morning. And, and, and I stood there and I watched her and I said, Rusty, do you understand that had we been born in this village, that would be us right now doing that? Do you understand that? I mean, the reason that we are where we are is because of the grace of God. The day you were born in America, you won the lottery. You need to understand that. The poorest you have ever been, you would be extremely wealthy in that village. And I think we need to understand that. I think we need to see that. I think we need to understand all Paul shows us and all Paul does for us and all Paul gives us and help us understand the blessings that God has given us and the things that God has done for us. And I think Paul would like us to understand, you know what, in the end, ultimately, we need to be giving ourselves to others. We look around and we see the blessings of this world. We say, Lord, I don't know why you put me here and you put them there, and we'll never fully understand this, but here's something I do understand. To whom much is given, much is expected. And when God gives us the blessings that we have in our world, in our society, we need to be given back to somebody else. And that doesn't mean you have to go to Guatemala or Romania. That could be your next-door neighbor. But God expects you through his power and through his glory to do things for other people that have great need. April of 2012, God called me to Guatemala for the first time. And I walked into that very remote village of San Juan Moca, the very village we just finished ministering. And as I stood in that village and I walked those paths and I talked to those people, I felt God stirring in my heart. And I felt God beginning to plan a vision in my mind and my heart for our church to go back and to reach more people in that village and to expand our mission work across the world. And so I came back and I began to challenge our church. I began to preach on missions and I, I felt the Lord leading us to take up a missions offering. Last August, you guys remember the story. And I believed in my heart as I began to pray for it, Lord, if you'll provide us with twenty-five or $30,000 during that mission offering, we could do a lot of things for a year. <laughs> God had other plans. And when the dust had settled, we had raised just over $270,000 for mission work. And when that happened, at that very moment, I knew that God had something incredible in store for our church. And so here we are a year later, 22 of us just got back from Guatemala, 33 more will be going in April. We're gonna be going to Zambia this summer. We've been able to expand our mission work in Romania by paying for a pastor in a very remote village. We've expanded our work in Alaska. We're gonna be going to Mexico. Carpenters for Christ are gonna be going and building houses and building churches. We're, We're praying about more and more mission involvement and more and more mission work. But here's the bottom line. Here's where we have to go in our minds and in our thoughts and in our prayers. We understand that God has done incredible things in our midst. We understand that God has worked and we've seen the power in Christ, but here's what we have to understand. There is so much more left to do and we can't stop. We can't say that was enough, Lord. I've been there, done that. I'm not not going back. We need to say, you know what? I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna take others with me. Or I'm gonna go now to my neighbor and share Christ. Or I'm gonna go to my coworker and share Christ. Or I'm gonna begin to give more to missions efforts. Or I'm gonna begin to do more things for Christ. I'm gonna put Christ more at the center and more the focus of all that I'm doing. Because Paul says, even though God's done great things, there's still great things left to be done. We can't stop. We press on. We move forward, walking hand in hand, arm in arm, walking towards the prize that God has called us to reach. Sharing his name With the nation. So, where are you this morning? You should challenge yourself with these questions. Is Christ the center of everything that you do? Is He the foundation? Is He driving the decisions you make? Are you willing, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to give whatever it takes all for the glory of God? Are you willing to give of yourself for other people? Even if it means you have to give up something you want, or even if it means you have to suffer in some way, are you moving forward? Are you seeking Christ in all things? Are you willing to do his will no matter what? Will you follow Christ to the ends of the earth? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the message of Acts 20 and the clear call, Father, from Paul and from other scriptures to go and to share. Lord, for some of, the, some of us, that means walk across the street for others of us, Lord, that means to have a conversation across the dinner table. For some of us, Lord, that means to go to the most remote parts of this planet. But Lord, we understand that we need to be moving forward. We need to praise your name for all you've done and give you glory and give you honor, recognizing your power in our lives. Father, But we have to understand, even though we've accomplished much, there's still much left to be done. And so you give us the strength, Lord, to set aside the things that hinder us, the things that hamper us, the things that stop us, Father, and we pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit working on our lives, through the power of Jesus Christ, you would give us the ability to go where you've called us to go, to do the things you've called us to do, Father, and we pray through our efforts that your name would be glorified in all the earth. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the opportunity for the next couple of minutes. If you want to come and pray about your walk, about your faith, about your call to missions, about your call to evangelism, whatever that looks like. If you want to repent of your sins and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or if you want to join this church, this is your time now as we sing together.